welcome from zero to hero. I'm Craig from Inspired Mindset, where we talk all things mental health and addictions. And today we've got our first guest, uh, which I'd like to welcome is Alicia, and she's um, from the Sunshine Coast. And today we're going to talk about her life with um, domestic violence, addictions, and some childhood trauma. So welcome, Alicia. Thanks, Craig. So just give us a quick little snapshot about yourself now. Um, whereabouts are you living on the Sunshine Coast? Have you got family and stuff living up there with you or kids? And um, My dad lives at Bribey Island. I've got uh, four kids, uh, just a single mum with four kids now. What I found like going through addiction and mental health, um, between the ages of naught and seven is like where we learn all our bad behavior, like negative behavior, self-doubt. So how, how was your uh, childhood growing up from like the ages of three to seven, if what you can remember and your family and upbringing? I was really, so I'm a doctor. I was a doctor when I was 12 months old. Um, birth mother was an addict. So she used while well, she was pregnant and I was born three months early. And then the people who adopted me were alcoholics. Um, you know, like with hindsight, I can see that they were sick people. So I found out when I was four that I was adopted um, in a not very uh, nice way. But uh, yeah, so my mum was quite distant um, in saying that they'd lost a baby the year before they adopted me. So, you know, she would have been grieving and things like that. Um, my dad's always been my uh, biggest support which was really good. Um, you know, I believe that all kids need that. Just just one, at least one person in their life who loves them and supports them no matter what. Yeah, we moved around a lot. My parents divorced when I was four. Um, so we moved uh, to live with my grandparents for a little bit and my mum had some mental health issues. I, I didn't know at the time. I was like four and a half, five when that happened, but um, I know that now. Your parents uh, separated when you were four. I guess it would have been pretty hard for you to process at such a young age. It was really hard. I was used to having my dad around all the time and then all of a sudden there and um, you just started kindy. So life just kept, it, it just snowballed from there. All of a sudden I was in a new house with my grandparents and then starting school and then like I said, my mum got quite ill and ended up in hospital. So um, that like changed everything. My brother and I went and lived with my dad for about three years. Didn't have much contact with our mum at all um, until I was about seven. And so, and that was because of the illness from your mum that you didn't have much contact with her? Or yeah, mental. What, was it depression, anxiety, or did she have any? Uh, like bipolar what what was the diagnosis with your mother um I'm fairly sure it would have been depression um I found out in like in my adult life that she'd um had a suicide attempt and that's why she ended up in mental health so so things were going quite nicely until the, the divorce and then you had then your grandparents obviously took mentoring you with your dad did that continue through into your into your teenage years or I spent a lot of time with my dad. He was a single parent. Like I said, my mum came back when I was seven. Um, 
with a new boyfriend. She ended up marrying and my brother wanted to move in with her, with, with them. So I made the choice to go with my brother so that, you know, he had someone with him. Um, and in that time, my, my father remarried um, a lady who had two children. So we were back and forth on uh, visitation yep. uh, up until I was about 12 or 13. And then um, my mother decided to move. We live in New South Wales. So she decided to move to Queensland. So I didn't have contact with her for a while. Um, and then uh, I was sexually assaulted by my stepbrother when I was 12 and a half. Um, and I made the decision to move up to Queensland to be with my mum to get out of that situation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so sorry to hear that you went through that. So that at 12, that's such a young age. So how did you how did you process it or how did you try and get over that experience at so young? If I'm honest, I was taught to just sweep it under the rug. Um, I told my mom about it and we went and made a, re- a police report, but that's as far as it went. Like there wasn't really counselling or anything offered to me and I didn't open up to anybody uh, like teachers or school friends or anything about that. It was just, you know, once it was out in the open, it was kind of just best to be left alone. That's yeah. how I was raised anyway. I guess back going back in those, those days, a lot of things were swept under the carpet, unfortunately. So you moved back up north. Um, you're going, you're attending high school. How how was that for you? Um, high school was really interesting. Um, I, so I'd been diagnosed with ADD when I was seven, um, yep. and my mum noticed there were still things going on. So at thirteen you know, seeing all the pediatricians and stuff like that, uh, they found out that I had Asperger's, which is classed as being ASD now, nowadays. Um, so that was really good. It, it changed everything because I'd always felt different. Um, you know, I had trouble concentrating and socialising and making friends and things like that. So for me to have that diagnosis at that age, it kind of, you know, it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. I, I, I finally felt like I fit somewhere. And I, they decided to put me on medication for that. Um, the first lot wasn't very, very good. Um, I ended up being quite suicidal, thought that jumping off the roof of the house would be a smart idea. So, you know, back to the doctors to adjust medications and things like that. But um, I don't know, back then it was, it was a really hard thing to do. Like I understood why I was medicated, but I didn't like the way the medication made me feel. And how did it make you feel? Did it calm you down or it, it just kind of made you like feel like a zombie? And- zombie is the exact word. That's exactly how I felt. In a way, it was nice for the brain to slow down and things like that and be able to concentrate a lot better. But, you know, I just didn't really feel uh, like myself. I just, I felt heavily medicated. It wasn't, it wasn't very nice feeling for me. Do you still take the medication or you've kind of come off that? No, um, I I chose to stop being medicated about at the age of 18. Um, but in saying that, like I started uh, smoking pot when I was 14 and uh, I preferred the feeling to that over the tablets. It made me feel the same, but not not such a, a zombie. And, um, you know, that, that led to heavier drug use. By the age of 17, I was putting needles in my arms. Um, so... How was your schoolwork and schooling with your diagnosis and what had happened to you earlier? 
once I had a formal diagnosis, um, the school had a special ed education program. So I was um, put forward for that. So I was still attending uh, classes that I was doing well with like English history and things like that. Um, and attended special ed classes during like maths and science periods, things that I was really struggling with. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really grateful for the fact that the school recognized that I needed help because during those special ed classes, I got a chance to learn, you know, real life skills like budgeting and how to go shopping properly and, um, you know, fill out tax forms and, and things that have come in handy in, in adult life um, without that special education um, support and the programs that they provided, you know, it would have made life really difficult. So what about your social life? How is that going? Oh, non-existent. I was, <laughs> um, I was what you'd call it, the troubled child. My mum was, um, I guess because I had stuff going on, but you know, while my friends were going to birthday parties or meeting up on weekends, going shopping or to the movies and stuff like that, I wasn't allowed to do those kinds of things. Um, so it was a lot more at home or, you know, going out, riding my bike. If I was able to, well, I had it. Luckily, I had a friend around the corner who was quite supportive and um, understanding about what was going on for me, you know, uh, personally and at home. So I was able to go up there and see her, which was good. How were the, your family um, around this period? Were they very supportive? Um, well, took me to all those appointments, but she she was supportive in the she knew that there was something going on for me and I clearly needed help. But, you know, as a child, I don't feel as very supportive around that. Um, I don't think she really had much of an understanding of, uh, like, the struggles that I was facing. And it, instead of it being, okay, this is autistic behaviour, it was, you know, you're just a, you're just a bad child. Yeah, <laughs> Which, yeah. You know, it, it's not very helpful. <laughs> So you started smoking pot around the age of 14. How did, how did you um, stumble across that? At school. <laughs> At school, okay, yeah. At school, yeah. Um, was walked into school one morning. I used to catch the bus at school and um, a, a friend from one of my classes was sitting out in the oval and they're like, oh, you know, would you like to try this? And I didn't see a problem with it. And, yeah, it just kind of went from then. Yeah. First couple of times, did you, was just like, where have you been for most of my life? Just get an instant liking for it or you just kind of grew on you? Yeah. Straight away. Yeah. I know. Straight away. I've always hated the smell. I don't like the smell of it, but I, I like the way that it, that it made me feel. Like I said, I grew up feeling so different. Like I had a hole really. And um, if I'm honest, pot filled that hole straight away. I didn't feel different anymore. I felt yeah. like, yeah. Like, you know, where have you been all my life? Now I'm normal. That continued on throughout your teenage years and adulthood? Oh, no. Um, so once I started smoking pot, I was, you know, I'd do what normal teenagers do. I'd live and drink and, and smoke pot. And uh, by 16, I, um, I, I'd had a full-time job and um, one of the girls there had something that was heavier. So I gave that a go and... Um, straight away it's like you know I'll buy some of that stuff off you and and then um so it went from from some that kind of stuff to injecting it pretty quickly yeah yeah sorry I missed the part what what, what was your drug of choice there with, with the injection and etc so I guess like uh like a lot of us we got an instant hit out of that that would have been a aha moment we really enjoyed it 
made you feel good. Right and- away. Um, remember the first time I had a shot of speed, um, the person who I was with uh, did me up. So in other words, I held my arm and they put the needle in there. I'd given them permission. There was no coercion or anything like that. And I'm like, oh, wow, I know that taste. And they're like, uh-oh. <laughs> so yeah, straight away, it was yeah, a massive aha moment. And um, I just kept continuing to try to chase that, really. How often were you using? It would depend monetary-wise. At least every fortnight, um, I'd go on four five-day binges. I was smoking pot every day by 18. So, um, yeah, I money-wise, I, I always tried to make sure that I had pot. But, yeah, it was always four five-day binges a fortnight on the speed. So once we get into that habit of addiction and go for four or five-day benders, what kind of... What effect did that start having you personally? My personality changed and I always, well, like I said, in hindsight, I can see that, but, you know, like being in the moment, I could see it too. The second I had my first shot, I'd want more. Um, you know, what I had was never enough. So I, like I said, I'd hit hard and my personality had changed. I'd get quite angry or like I'd be friendly at the start, but once, you know, drugs started running out, I'd get quite snappy and angry and, sulky and upset that I couldn't get more and then it turned into me you know hocking things or ringing my dad and and saying you know I, I can't feed myself short of my rent or my my wallet got stolen, got stolen there was always an excuse it was never the truth and um you know I'd, I'd sort me out that way um to feed those to feed that addiction yeah it wasn't <laughs> yeah it's never a good place so, so you are you working at that stage? You're working and um, I managed to lose a job because I was going out on my lunch breaks and using drugs and stuff, and that you know, not not the way that I'd left for my lunch break, and um, it, I lost my job over that. I haven't worked full time since then. Like I, I started, I had my first kid just before my twentieth birthday. So that um, changed things up a bit. So when you had your first your child, is that when you stopped or you kept kept using or what have you had a break? I wish I'd say that I quit, but I, and that's my story. Um, we stopped using needles and was smoking a fair bit of pot when I found out that I was pregnant and I cut right down. I'd have periods of like a few weeks to a month where I wouldn't be smoking at all and then it'd be around like you know a couple of cones won't hurt and um so I did that on and off during my pregnancy um I remember being with her in the hospital asking if I'd been using while I was pregnant and I got really angry that they would ask me that but I lied I said no I hadn't been and um I hoped that I'd have a, a healthy baby because I knew deep down what I had been doing. Thankfully, she was born and she was healthy and fine. And the, I remember bringing her in hospital and staying so just for a bit. Um, I thought that was the better choice with a young child. And then, um, you know, the pot started picking up again and then I'd go on weekend binges on the speed. Um, I found out I was pregnant with my second child. She, Shani, would have been about eight months old and I gave myself a week I was like look I'm not going to do this again and gave myself a week to to stop using drugs and um 
I didn't know what happened, but next morning and um, was offered a cone and I'm like, no, I don't want that. Uh, so that lasted for that whole pregnancy and um, awesome. and a bit of time after I stayed, I managed to stay sober for 18 months, um, just off like off my own bat. I didn't attend meetings or know anything about recovery or anything back then. It was just a, a personal choice. Um, and then one day I got a phone call from a friend and they were having trouble getting on and I had that feeling in my gut. I'm like, you know, if I do this for them, something's going to go wrong and it's going to end up being mine. And But I still did it anyway. And <laughs> what yep. do you know, something went wrong and I ended up with drugs and I was just like, uh, shouldn't really be using them. But I, you know, I made a conscious decision to use them and that kicked me off again on my next few years of, of using we got eight months clean do you have any tips for that period what was it just willpower or you really thought about your pregnancy what what really helped you to stop that eight, 18 months i i think deep down i knew that my life was a lot more settled um and like just life was easy without without drugs i like i said i at the time, I couldn't really admit that I had a drug problem, but some somewhere in me, I knew that when I was clean and sober, and if I made that decision, that life was a lot easier. Um, you know, I was a lot nicer person to be around. I was present for my children and um, their father, and you know, I wasn't making silly choices, and it it wasn't running my life because when I use drugs, it I can't think about anything else. Yeah, and um. I know that sounds horrible, but that's that's my truth. You know, drugs yep. come before anything. No, that's like for myself and a lot of people. So you're not alone there. It's a it's a horrible place to be. And so yeah, well done for that 18 months. So how was your mental health during just beforehand when you stopped, and how was it for that 18 months when you were clean? Um, well, beforehand I was quite ratty. I'm prone to depressive and anxiety um episodes and um uh, I hadn't self-harmed since I was 18 I made a conscious decision when I fell pregnant with my first child that I wouldn't do that um so I'm, I'm glad that I made that decision but um you know I was quite bratty and stuff I noticed the longer that I stayed off off the drugs and tried living a, a healthy clean life that my mental health improved you know I was able to deal with what life threw at me in a in a proper manner instead of um things happening to me and me burying it with with drugs and alcohol do you mind if we just quickly dive into the self-harm when did that start when was the first kind of episode of that probably done it my whole life you know a, a normal 14 year old child wouldn't think that jumping off a roof was a smart idea and they were going to survive that so i'd say that i'd had suicidal tendencies and ideation from a really young age yep. by 17 i ended up in mental health the first time um like i shared before i was on prescription pills and stuff so I'd, I'd taken an overdose on them and ended up in hospital um uh, and was scheduled into mental health for uh I think it was minimum three-day period I stayed for a week so I was really grateful for that one and the next the next one around I was 18 I'd um I'd cut my I'd slashed my wrists and OD'd on prescription pills and uh they thought that sending me home was a good idea and um, yeah, well. <clears throat> I said, 
I, I got quite upset with that and I said, look, if you send me home, I will end up back here in a body bag and it will be on you. You need to put me into mental health. Um, so they did and um, I was there for another week and, um, and then went home. I had counselling support after that. So I was seeing a psychologist and stuff like that and, uh, for a couple of month period. And then it just, um, I, I was one of those people who'd start to feel a bit better and go. That's how far, like I've, I've always had suicide ideology. Um, for me, just thinking about when I was really anxious, it was like a, if I thought I was going to kill myself or plan it, it was kind of like a big relief, like a, a big mm -hmm. release from the pressure. Is, is that, is that how you felt as well? Or did you have a different experience with I felt like that when I was harming myself. The way that I've tried to describe it to other people is like, you know, that boiling pot of water on your stove and it's bubbling and you hold the lid down on it. Yep. And that was me all the time, just that that bubble, 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 bubble. And then when I'd hurt myself, like either take pills or, or cut or whatever I decided to do, it was a massive relief. Um, yeah. I don't know if this is a bit deep, but, you know, it was a big thing for me to slip my wrists and watch the blood run down the drain. It was just really cathartic to me. I was. Yeah, no, I totally understand where you're coming from, from the release part and other people I've spoken to, it's very similar. So it's pretty sad that we have to go through that, but no, thank you for sharing. What about the psychologists and psychiatrists? How'd you go? How'd you go with them and how'd you find it, the treatments and talking about it? Um, I've, look, I've been seeing counsellors and psychologists since a, a young age, but um, I never really felt like I had somebody that I connected to where I could open up properly and go, okay, this is what's actually happened and this is why I am the way that I am. Yeah. That second trip into mental health, I ended up with a really beautiful lady who um, actually listened. And, you know, because I'd heard, oh, you know, you're just a naughty child and you bring this all on yourself, where this this lady was just like, okay, I can understand, like, you've been through a lot of stuff and helped me find other ways to to cope and deal with things, which was really good. I started journaling and, um, you know, uh, looking for things. I was starting is so doom and gloom and she gave me a way to look at things where, you know, focus on, on things that are going well because yep. um, it was something that I really struggled with. So it sounds like she, it was kind of like a, a CBT therapy or DBT therapy, just looking at the positives and changing your mindset or how, how you process things. Instead of being anything mm -hmm. doom and gloom and panic, we can kind of say like um, overreacting. Was that the type of? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome, awesome. We've gone to the, the 20s, the 18 months. So... The next time you hit the addiction, how long did that go for and what what kind of happened during that period? Probably about three years um, from, yeah. I stayed sober for 18 months and then picked up drugs, like I said, stay, uh, and went into that for like three years. It was a pretty dark and nasty place. Um, but it was easy for me to use. I had plenty of things to use over uh, childhood trauma and the kid's dad had been quite, it was quite a violent and volatile uh, relation between him and I. Um, so for me, I had plenty of reasons to use 
I um, started hocking things and things again, uh, stuff like that again, and was quite depressed and anxious. Um, found people who, you know, were quite happy to sell Valium and things like that. So I started hitting, um, I started hitting that as well as, you know, uh, smoking a lot of pot and drinking a lot of alcohol and shooting up speed. And um, I started dealing to, um, to help kind of cover costs. Um, to you know, to, to basically to enable me to be able to use drugs and it not cost me so much because, like I said, I, I had two young children at that stage as well. Um, and I got caught dealing and ended up in a lot of um trouble with the law. Uh, I'd been caught shoplifting and stuff as well. So um, I went to like the first court date and they um. They told me about a program called Merit, which is the magistrate's early referral into treatment. So um, I started reporting to the police every day of the week and started seeing, I'm fairly sure you call it like a drug counsellor, right? I started getting uh, urine tested a couple of times a week as well. And, uh, you know, she asked me about what was going on and, you know, if what I believed were the reasons that I was, you know, doing what I was doing. And she's the first person that I opened up to about, um, about what was going on at home. Um, and I'm, I'm really, really grateful for that. It, it was a big change at, at that age. Um, I'd shown up with a black eye and um, she was the first person who actually took me seriously. And I said, look, you know, there's, there's some stuff going on at home and, you know, I don't really want to be there. And, um, you know, I didn't feel safe and was concerned about the welfare of the kids too, you know, not just from the drug and alcohol abuse, but, you know, from what they were witnessing at home, it wasn't very pretty. Yeah. And um, I ended up, uh, she helped me get into a refuge um, with my, with the two young girls. So I did that and um, that's when the phone call started for me to uh, the rehab that I went to in New South Wales took women and children and I had to contact them every day to show them that I was you know, still keen to attend rehab. Um, so I spent, I think it was about a month in the refuge before there came up a spot in the rehab for me to go to. Uh, so I went to rehab and did a, a six week program. Mm-hmm. Um, and made it through that and uh, by the end of that I was looking at either going into a long-term rehab months or um, moving up to Queensland where my dad was living um, so I made the choice to to move up to Queensland and be with my dad and yep. continue staying sober and I managed to uh, stay sober for about nine months um, after that, uh, rehab introduced me to um, to AA and NA meetings, and I tried to continue that when I moved up to Queensland. But um, like I, I said before, and I was still of that mindset back then too. You know, I'm feeling a bit better. I don't really need to do those kinds of things anymore, and I stopped doing them. It, it's kind of like a false security, isn't it? Get that clean time up Definitely. and just going back to the the dealing stage. I know how that can go, and that's that can be a very full on time period in your life. What experiences? How'd you find that? How'd you cope? Um, good, good and not so good. But I was so drugged out of my brain by then. I didn't really care. I didn't. 
I know it sounds terrible, but I didn't give a shit about anything really. Um, yeah. It was it was just that it was just the way it was for that period of time in my life. Um, you know, people liked it because I was quite happy to to sell drugs on Christmas and New Year's, and they couldn't get it. It was a lot of. I can say this now because I'm so far removed from it, but it was a lot of people pleasing. I didn't care as long as I got as long as I got money and I could keep doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess during that period, the people that are after drugs, you kind of you feel wanted weird sense of a way that people want you and getting attention, I guess. And um, yeah, I kind of experienced that. Everything was so hectic and out of control. It, it come like a, a drug itself. Yeah, definitely. Cause I, I felt like you said, felt wanted and needed. And, and then other times when I'd, you know, be, be dropping drugs off and stuff, it'd be like that boost to my ego because I got away with it. I've got all of this stuff on me and no one noticed. And I got from A to B and, yeah, you know, I did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a cat and mouse game, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. the the cat always catches up to us. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's thankfully these days, you know, when it happened, I, when I got caught, I wasn't very happy. But you know, uh, these days, I'm thankful. It's just one of those things along the way that changes and head us in the right direction. It's, it's shitty at the time, but um, there's always a lot of positive to come out of it, So, which you probably have learned as well. Yeah, definitely. You've gone up to your dad's rehab's worked for the six weeks and you've gone up there and you've been nine months clean. Is, is that right? Yeah. You got away from your partner? You've broken from your, your ex-partner? Uh, yeah, I, I did that before, yeah. I, I managed to, yeah, I separated from him and moved up to Queensland and got the nine months clean and um like my kids were quite young five and three and they just wanted their dad and like I said I'm a I'm a a very slow learner and a very quick forgetter and um so I invited him to come up and be with 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 the family and um things went downhill pretty quickly (laughs) we um we picked up and started using again and um the domestic violence started to happen again and uh, I fell pregnant with my third child and, um, you know, that kind of settled things down a little bit. Um, but by, by the time I'd had him and he was six months old, we were, we were back on the outs again um, to the point where he was getting me removed from my own house with the police and, yeah. um, you know, so I, it, I'm good at geographic. So I, so I moved and then uh, I had he he kept calls and I had a six month old baby and I just so I like I said deep down I knew that the drugs and the alcohol weren't doing any favors so I started attending meetings again and and got sober and managed to stay sober for for ten months that time um and then once again <laughs> slow learner quick together things went down with the with the da- with the kids dad and and the girls and um you know, I was like, you know, I'll help you out. And so they moved back in with me and then the drugs and alcohol came again. Yeah. And a lot and another pregnancy, um, and which did not go well. Um, I ended up, I, he's probably the worst one that I used to, I was using needles and smoking pot when I was pregnant with my youngest child. And, um, 
I I had him that ten weeks early. Yep. So yep. That was was pretty um hectic, and uh at the um because I was unwell myself when I had him. I went into premature labour, and yeah, he was born. So they tested, they uh, blood tested me and stuff to see what was going on, and found out that I had Hep C. Um. So yeah, that was a bit of a kick in the teeth, and yep. um. He was in hospital for, for the first five weeks of his life. And I made that decision, don't use drugs anymore. And I was in hospital for two weeks. And I, you know, I came home, I, I was walking in, I still remember this, I was walking in the gate and my, my dealer was walking out. And I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. And um, just wasn't strong enough to say no. And so going, kick, kicked it again. And, and then... um. <laughs> bring the baby home when he was like five weeks old and um the domestic violence started again it was quite physical and um a lot of uh, emotional and verbal abuse there too uh it got to the point where his dad was trying to get me drilled into mental and um i knew deep down that wasn't really my problem was the fact that, you know i was in the drugs pretty hard so um i reached out again and um, ended up in a refuge with, with the two boys. Tadil stayed with their dad and um, once again made the decision to, to get clean. I stayed sober for about eight weeks. It was really easy. It's really easy for me to do that when I move into a new town because I try and just isolate and stick to myself. Yeah. But, yep. um, you know, it wasn't working then either. Kicked it off with it just you know, drinking alcohol and the alcohol's not enough. So I move on to the pot and um, start smoking every day. And then, I, you know, I move on to needles again. And um, that went on for uh, for about two years, I think. And, you know, invited the kid's dad back into my life again. And then, you know, it's more violence and doors getting kicked in on houses and police involvement every other day and DBs and... All the, all the stuff that comes with domestic violence abuse and um, yeah. age on like 32 and um, I was just like look I I don't know what happened it got to the point where I didn't want to live anymore um, I'd get up in the morning and just be like fuck you know I can't do this Yeah, I, I can't do this anymore I was quite and, um, and anxious but you know I'd, I'd promised myself that I wasn't going to use that day and inevitably by the end of the day I'd, I'd have something in my system and um oh it was a really really dark time like I said I didn't it just my addiction took over like my whole life it was more important than anything and mm. you know it's like I was it's like I was split into two people you know the the same part of me you knew that what I was doing was wrong and I, I needed to change something Yep. And then the other part of me is just like, you know, just drink and drive through it. And um, by the end of me using, it wasn't even doing what it, it wouldn't even shut my head up anymore. Yeah. Um, it just, for lack of better words, it stopped working. I know this might sound strange to some people, but because I'd been in the rooms before, I, um, I knew that there was, there was something bigger than me out there. So um, I prayed. I'm like, yep. please just help me. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Please just, just help. 
Yeah. And um, because of all the violence and stuff, we were able to to get into a refuge and I moved towns again. And this time I had four kids with me and I I rang the, the AA hotline and um, I went to a meeting that night and, um, you know, I walked into this room like I was grey and yellow and 48 kilos because I had epsi that I hadn't even bothered dealing with. And um, I was in denial about it, really. And um, I walked into this room with the four kids and, you know, saw all these shiny, happy people. And um, for those that haven't been in the rooms before, when you're a newcomer, they usually will ID for you. And I heard... Um, so much stuff a, a lot of people shared bits and pieces of my story and you know I felt alone because I felt like a shit mum because you know if I if I was a good mum I would have stopped using and I wouldn't be doing this to my kids and and yep. this and that and um not to break anonymity or anything but there were other women in that room who felt the same way that I did and instant I didn't feel alone and um you know I got I got phone numbers for people and, and kept attending meetings and, um, you know, I, I got a sponsor and went through the 12 steps and, um, like I said, um, I prayed to God that I didn't know. I, I just, <laughs> it just did it anyway. And um, I don't know, life changed. Um, I, I, I was able to see that, you know, admit properly that I had a problem. Um, yep. and not just just think it in my head I felt it in my heart too and I, I knew that there was a solution and um, like I said I went through 12 steps with my sponsor and four and five is writing up a moral inventory and then sharing it with somebody and that was the first time in my life that I had ever been completely honest with somebody I was really good at keeping secrets and thinking yep. people didn't you know people didn't know I'd, I'd tell them stuff that I thought they needed but that was it Never in my life had I ever sat down with just one person and, and put everything on the table. Um, I told her things that I thought that I'd take to my grave and, um, you know, became willing to make amends to people that um, I never thought I would. Like I said, my childhood was crap and, and all the uh, violence and things like that and my adulthood and things. Yeah. Um, you know, there before doing those steps there is no way that I would have been able to see my part in things and apologize for my part in things or be willing to forgive people yeah and um that's what that program gave me really yeah wow what a story especially the domestic violence and I can uh, totally understand how you went with using it again just to self-medicate and deal with all the anger the hurt the the shame a really bad spot You've reached out to a higher power. You just got to that point where you just needed, you, you don't know how to get out of it. You think, fuck, how am I going to get out of this? You can't see a way. Your way was to pray for that day, for that, for that moment, to try and get out of the situation you're in. Mm -hmm. that, and then, so you went to the refuge and, and then you started going to the, the meetings. H how were you clean mm -hmm. when you started going to the meetings? Uh, the day that I got into the, not before I got into the refuge because I changed towns was the last time that I used. And so my clean date is the 13th of 2018. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. And you, do you still go now? Do you still attend now, the meetings? Yes, I yeah. attend now. I have 
I have sponsees now, so I take other. I've taken a, a couple of other women through the steps as well. I have service positions at the moment. Currently, I have keys to open up a, a, a meeting in the town where I am, which um, you know, like they've been my home group from day dot. I've can I've continued to attend those meetings, raid hail or shine. The only thing that stopped me was um you know when i've been quite ill because of covid we can't it's it's better not to attend because people of all different age groups and 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 health issues attend so i've made those decisions not to uh during lockdown last year uh, i um had the privilege of um being able to host zoom meetings for for aa for my group so awesome yeah awesome so yeah things look like they're going so well in your life at the moment how so? How is it? Your your family is good. You waking up with a bit of a spring in your step, and it is so much better than the life that I used to have. Um, like I said, it, before I got sober, I was hopeless. I I truly believed that that's the way that I was going to die. I was doing that. I didn't think that I could get this kind of time up. Um, life is different. Like I. I keep a roof over my head. My bills are paid on time. I don't stress when life throws things at me. Um, look, a spiritual program and I've got my own beliefs, but I know that God has my back. Like he, whatever it gets thrown at me, I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't have to do head and miles over it. And I'm not going to sit here and say that there aren't times where I'm not, you know, concerned or whatever, but I know that eventually everything will work out in its own time. Yeah. Yep. the way that it's supposed to. I've got no control over any, and that's probably the biggest difference between me being sober and me using drugs. I always thought that I could control everything, and um, you know that that was that did not work out well for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, I'm just so happy to hear your story and and how well you're doing now and helping others. That's that's fantastic. You got such a an amazing story. Sad, tragic. But you've also had the good times when you come through and we are now. I could talk to you all day, but um, we might get you back on again and if you're happy to share some more stories. And what I'd really like you to do, or if you could, it could help us, is um, what advice would you give to anyone going through domestic violence? What's, what's the one tip that you learnt that could help others that reach maybe out. reach out? Reach yeah. out. You're not alone. You're not alone. I know it's so hard to be honest about and it's a scary, scary time. But I promise you, if you reach out and ask for help, there are people out there willing to help you and your life will change. And what about the um, the drugs? Pretty much the same thing? Definitely the same thing. You, you're not alone. Um, you know, and for me personally, it started with being honest and I know that it's really hard to be honest and, and take stock and think about where you're at in that moment, but reach out and try and be honest. There, there are rooms full of people who are just like you. You're not alone and you can, it can change. Yep. Yep. That honesty thing is, um, that's a huge one. Hey, in recovery, I was like you kept everything private. There's no way I'm talking about my problems and what I'd been through. And so honesty is a really good thing to, um, to reach out to people. So that's great advice. Well, Alicia, we're going to wrap it up, but that was an amazing story. And I really love to get you on again because you've got so much uh, experience and advice and um, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today.
No, thanks for having me, Craig. It's been an honour.